So just a couple minutes about our ministry. I represent a ministry out of Finland called Great Commission Media Ministries. Uh, we do three things. And very quickly, we do media evangelism campaigns all over the world. Uh, in November, we did a campaign in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, uh, two months later, we did a campaign in, in um, Sri Lanka, which is just south of India, island nation, south of Indi- India. <clears throat> and now we're doing, we're right in the middle of doing one in Paraguay, South America, which is kind of my campaign. So basically what we do is we, we go into uh, major cities all over the world where, where we've been invited by a significant group of churches, and we help them to discover uh, 20 to 30 of the best testimonies from their culture, um, a cross-section of their, of their uh, nation, and, um, and then we do documentaries. Uh, and the documentary basically is what their life was like before they came to Christ, how they came to Christ, and what their life is like now since they're following Jesus. At the bottom of each uh, documentary is a website and a phone number. It's a ribbon of information. The phone number is connected to a, um, a local call center, and people are encouraged to call into the call center to receive a free book. Uh, a few years ago, this is uh, the book we did in, in, um, in um, Suriname, South America, uh, another one of the campaigns that I was involved in. The book is very similar all over the world. Colors, graphics, very similar to this all over the world. Of course, in, in each one is, is, uh, is life stories right from their city. Now, this is, this is written in Dutch because Suriname speaks Dutch. So, you know, this is, um, th- that's kind of what we do. Um, and so everyone who calls into the call center is followed up by a live person. So we train people to staff the call center 24 24 hours a day, seven days a week during the month of programming. What happens is all of these documentaries go on on secular television. We We don't go on Christian television. We do secular television for a whole month. So every night for a month, prime time, there's a different testimony on television that simply proclaims the gospel through someone's life story from their culture. Um, once people call into the call center uh, to receive the free book, uh, we take down their information, and then uh, we actually train people from local churches to actually take the book and hand-deliver the book. In most cases, we're able to do that, and our goal is to get our, our foot in the door and go through the book with them over a period of three or four or five weeks. So that's, that's, that's kind of the process of how this happens, and um, Lebanon, we had 30,000 people call into the call center. Sri Lanka, we had 50,000 people call into the call center. It's very typical of what we're seeing all over the world. So very, very grateful for, for that. We've done over 80 cities now, and you'll see that in our short two-minute video. Uh, the second part of our ministry is we do um, uh, satellite broadcasting out of our studios in Helsinki, Finland, where we bring people from all over Europe who are from an Islamic background, they may be Arabic they, uh, speakers, they may speak Farsi from, from Iran, um, Somalian, Eritrean, Sudanese, Hindustani. And basically what we do is, is we bring people who are, who are wonderful Christians who are now living in Europe, that are from those cultures, they come in, they preach, they teach, they sing, they minister in their own languages. You'll see that, all the pictures you'll, 
you'll see of television broadcasting are right from our studios in Helsinki, Finland. We do 850 programs a year. They're all uplinked to satellite television for the Islamic world. We get one to two million hits a month from the Islamic world from our programming. That's done in those languages. And uh, it's marvelous outreach. Satellite television is a marvelous way of reaching uh, the unreached people uh, of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially the Islamic world. Almost everybody watches satellite television. There's, there's uh, 75 million people in Iran, but there's 45 million satellite dishes because everybody watches satellite television. So it's a free access into that country. It's a marvelous, marvelous outreach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third part of our ministry is our outreach to children's prisons in Russia, which we're still doing, still very involved in that. We're involved in 70 children's prisons in Russia with some 20,000 boys in these prisons. We do humanitarian aid. We, we provide uh, fresh uniforms. The, the uh, women's prison system uh, uh, sews the uniforms. We pay for them. Uh, we pay for new underwear, socks, shoes, boots, uh, pants, shirts, um, toothpaste, deodorant, basic stuff like that. Uh, we did this for a number of years, and a few years back, uh, the commanders of the prison saw that we had uh, no other agenda than to help them, and they began to say, would you like to talk to the boys? So now our Russian guys get into these prisons, preach the gospel of these boys on a regular basis, 20,000 boys, and of course there's turnover all the time. Two years in a maximum security prison. These are not reformatories. These are maximum security prisons with guard dogs, machine guns, worst of conditions. Our guys go in now, preach the gospel, seeing hundreds of these boys on a regular basis coming to Christ. So it's a wonderful outreach. I'm honored, honored, honored to be a part of it. I've got newsletters in the back. Feel free to take one or more this morning. I'd uh, love to have you sign up to get it on a monthly basis. Um, because I know what happens. You go out for lunch today, you forget all about Dave Ogren, which is great. But, but um, when the newsletter comes in the mail, I, my hope is you take 10 seconds to pray for our ministry, that God would bless our ministry all over the world. God bless you. So we'll, we'll show the two-minute video, and I'll come back and preach. 75% of the world's population will be in cities by 2020. Does the church have a strategy to reach the people in their big cities? If they don't, the Great Commission will never be finished. We're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about simple tools to reach the world for Christ. But it works. We've gone into each city intensively for 30 days working closely with the churches on the ground. A symphony of media. 30 days saying that God gives you the power to change. Call this number. Everyone that calls the number, they get a 100-page tailor-made book for that city containing the most powerful testimonies of how God changed lives. Primetime television every night back to back for 30 days. Same thing for radio. Billboards, buses, trains. The amazing thing is, is that these countries are not able to control satellite television. And so we are able to come in with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a clear way into these countries reaching an audience of, of over 100 million people in places in the Middle East and Northern Africa and the Arabic Gulf and Asia. Uh, these boys end up in prison and the whole reason why they are there is because there's nobody at home 
loving them, feeding them, taking care of them. There is no mother and father. But the colonel said, the words that you spoke today about Jesus Christ has meant more to these boys than in the clothes. You're talking about their future. Take your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 1. It's Mother's Day. Uh, how many mothers do we have out there today? We just honor you, appreciate you. My mom went home to be with the Lord uh, a couple years ago now and uh, miss her and think of her today. Um, and um, uh, celebrated Mother's Day with my wife of 44 years. Uh, before before I left home, so took care of that. <laughs> so uh, we've got three kids and five grandkids, and uh, I feel very blessed. So uh, we're going to focus on a woman from the Bible, uh, but it relates to, to all of us, men and women alike. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. And Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Um, uh, verse, verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them was uh, Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Verse 20, So the Lord dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh, then, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine son, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took uh, for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it. We'll go from there. All right, turn it at Numbers, chapter 26. Verse 58, 
These are the clans of Levi, the clan of the Libnites, the clan of the Hebronites, the clan of the Malites, the clan of the Mushites, the clan of the Korites, and Koath was the father of Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. Lord, this morning as we spend a little time in your word today, I pray that God, uh, faith would arise in our hearts. I pray that, God, you will direct us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us discernment into the will of God for our lives, that we would see it clearly and that we would respond clearly to the call of God in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. About 3,300 years ago, King Seti number 1 of the 19th dynasty was Pharaoh of Egypt. Goshen was a strategic grazing area in the northeastern border of Egypt and was called the Eastern Nile River Delta. Joseph had reintroduced himself to his brothers and Jacob, his father, moved the whole family to Egypt with the whole household. You know the story. The Jews is settled and thrived in Goshen now for some 215 years. The uh, Paul reveals to us in Galatians chapter 3 that it was actually 430 years from, uh, from the time Abraham was called uh, into this new land of, of, of Israel un, un, until the giving of the law, until they left Egypt. And, and so it was a total of 430 years for that whole period of time. But the time, the time that the children of Israel now had actually been in Egypt following uh, Joseph actually going down to Egypt was some 215 years. Their numbers over those couple hundred years had grown uh, tremendously. They'd become a dominant force in Egypt. Um, and, 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 and the new pharaoh considered the, the Israelites as a national security issue, um, especially if the Jews would join with some invading army. So to diminish that possibility, King said he ordered calculated male infanticide. Now, <clears throat> it hadn't been that long since Joseph had died. It had only been like 64 years uh, from, from the time that Joseph died until now. But, but over those 64 years, how quickly we forget, over those 64 years, um, the pharaohs had totally forgotten about Joseph and his connection with the pharaohs in Egypt. And so here we have this horrible season for the children of Israel. Many Jewish boys would be killed. You know, Moses was spared, but not all the Jewish boys were spared. Many of them were killed. Many Jewish girls were forced into Egyptian marriages. Um, but obviously it was not totally successful because the Egyptian midwives... Uh, with the fear of God, uh, would not kill the infant boy ch children. And, and so Pharaoh ratchets up the pressure and gives a general command to all of Egypt. And basically uh, gave carte blanche to everyone in Egypt saying, if you see um, a Jewish uh, male child under the age of two, 
please kill them. Please throw them in the river. Cast them in the river. Do whatever you need to do. So during this season, this couple, Amram and Jochebed, who already had two children, they already had Miriam, who was seven years of age, and they had Aaron, who was three years of age, and now into this family comes this new beautiful little baby that they named Moses. And, uh, and, 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 and with his birth, obviously, as there is for all of us as parents, there, there was an awareness of destiny. There was a, an awareness that, that, that God, you've brought this little child into our life for, 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 for a divine purpose. We don't know exactly what you have planned for him, but you have something planned for him. Psalm 139, verse 15 states that, that we have been skillfully wrought. Um, he, even at the point of birth, it implies a, a, a biblical truth that God, God has set us all aside with special purpose, even from birth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I found it interesting last night that Zach actually, as we were talking last night, actually quoted this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, I don't care. You know, I'm 67 years old. Many of you are younger than that. Uh, but the reality is, no matter how old you are or how young you are, there's still a sense of destiny over your life. God still has something for you to do. God has purpose in your life. And, and, there, and I believe that Jochebed and Amram had this awareness of destiny over their son's life. Now, the situation for Moses was, was absolutely hopeless. It was devastating. Um, I'm sure that Amram and Jochebed began to pray to the Lord, God, what should we do in this situation? Uh, you blessed us with this precious life. Uh, how do we hide a three-month-old child? Uh, I'm sure they were frantic. They didn't know what to do. And... Um, they got to the point where, where they, they realized they weren't going to be able to hide him any longer. And it seems very clear here that God gave Jochebed, the mother of Moses, a plan. Uh, it, 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 it seems that this was divine intervention because, because it was too outrageous. It was too radical. It was too uh, impossible, the chance of success of, of, of what, what she was intending to do. I mean, the chance of, of success was about zero. Scripture doesn't intimate that, that God gave Jochebed every detail. And the reason for that is I believe that God has gifted you. How many have a, have a brain? Grateful it still works this morning. All right, yeah. Uh, he's given you an intellect. He's, he's given you creativity on purpose. God has given you a tremendous amount of freedom of activity. You know, you're not in a straitjacket. God doesn't make, make puppets or, 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 or cookie-cutter Christians. Um, we're all different from each other. You all look different from each other today. You all think differently, you know. You, you all have different gifts. You all have different talents. And, and, and God likes you the way he made you, with the giftings he's given you. 
And, and, and in the context of that, God has given you, there, there are certain things that are, there are absolutes, but, but, but there's other areas in your life where you have absolute freedom. And we don't know how much God told Jochebed as far as the plan. But we know what she did. She took the long, sturdy, pliable uh, papyrus plant and she formed a basket. Now, now this was not unusual for back then. Uh, they would use the papyrus plant actually um, to make small boats. Uh, the reason they used papyrus plants uh, to make small boats is because, because the crocodiles could not break through them. And so she took this and, and formed a basket and she, she plastered it with pitch and clay. And I'm sure that as she's making this ba- basket, knowing what she's going to do with this basket, I'm sure she was praying over it the whole time, saying, oh God, help us. This seems so impossible, but I believe that you've put this idea into my heart. What in the world? How in the world is this going to work? But she began to do this. Once the basket was completed, she took Miriam, her seven-year-old daughter, and she began to teach her. Now, she told her, I'm sure, uh, the same thing over and over and over again so that Miriam would have it clearly in her mind. You're going to put the basket in the water right close to where Pharaoh's daughter bathes, and you're going to go and you're going to hide yourself uh, uh, so you can see the baby. And, and when Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket, you're going to step out quickly and say, shall I go and find a nurse from uh, one of the Hebrew women? Now, how many think that sounded like a wonderful idea? What a stupid idea in the natural. I mean, here, Pharaoh is the one who has given the order to every, every male Jewish boy, if you find one, throw it in the river. And here, Jochebed is taking Moses and putting him not only in a basket hidden in a cave. No, no, no. No, she's putting this baby boy in a basket in the river. The very river that Pharaoh said, throw the babies in and drown them. No sense. No sense at all. But here, this is exactly what she believed. I know, we know now that she believed that God had instructed her to do this. And so she teaches Miriam over and over. I'm sure Miriam, by the end of it, was rolling her eyes and saying, Mom, how many, you've already told me a hundred times how to do this. I know, I'm taking the basket, I put it in the water, I go hide. And and when Pharaoh's daughter comes down and opens the basket and finds uh, Moses, I'm to jump out and said, can I find uh, a Hebrew woman to nurse the child? So you know the story. Huge risks, huh? Absolutely. Was everything guaranteed in this? No. Any possibility of failure? (laughs) Potential for success? About zero. Hardly measurable. Now, God often calls you and me to similar situations. Not exactly like this. But we see Israel, God calls them to leave Egypt, looked impossible. God used Moses later on to make that happen. God calls Daniel into a particular kind of work. He says, I'm going to call you into politics. 
But not in Israel. I'm going to call you into politics in Babylon. <laughs> You're going to work for the king in Babylon. I mean, that looked like imp- totally impossible. But that's exactly what happened. Mary. You think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine this young girl, 14, 15, 16 years of age? We don't know how old she was. He will be born of you. He will uh, by the Holy Spirit, and he will be the Son of God. Can you imagine? I mean, here this girl gets this message from an angel of the Lord, and, 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 and the potential of all this happening was absolutely impossible, and it was full of risks. Many of the things that God calls you to, many of the things that God calls me to, there are risks involved. There, 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 there is need for the exercise of faith. There is, in almost everything that God calls us to, there is the multiplicity of what-ifs. But if we wait until there are no risks, if we wait until everything is safe and sure, if we wait until all of our questions are answered, we probably have waited too long. Because God has called each and every one of us to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. Hebrews 11, verse 23, gives us a little bit more insight into Amram and Jacob. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. And actually, you know, in, in a real sense, it's not just talking about beauty here, talking about purpose is talking about destiny because they saw that he was he was this kind of child and they were not afraid of the king's command you see there's something in all of our lives wherever there's faith there's also the opposite fear huh faith and fear it's almost like two signs of one coin anything that god is leading you into that involves faith there's almost always the operation of fear in that context. A.W. Tozer years ago said, faith is not a destination, but a journey. And um, on that journey, (laughs) on that journey, you will always encounter the enemy of fear. The Apostle Paul did. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened, listen to Paul's word, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired of life. We panicked. We were fearful. Isn't that amazing? This is the Apostle Paul. Okay? So on his journey of faith, he encountered the enemy of fear. We all do. We all do. And that was true here. We live in two realms. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Some of you may remember a number of years ago when I was here, I preached a message on the horizontal and the vertical from Second Corinthians 4. Anybody remember that message? Well, bless your heart. there's this this whole thing of of while we look not at the things that are seen but the things that are not seen the vertical 
For the things that are horizontal, the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. Okay? And so we live in these two realms. We live in the seen and we live in the not seen. We live in the visible and we live in the invisible. We live in the natural and we live in the spiritual. And we live in both realms all the time. We live in atmosphere that involves faith and fear. (laughs) The natural and the spiritual. Okay? So how many are planning on having lunch today? You know, or maybe early dinner? Okay. So that's horizontal, isn't it? That's natural. We had dinner last night. And it was wonderful. We had a good time together. All right. That was natural. But we also had wonderful conversation about some some very spiritual things, didn't we? It was it was fun. It was enjoyable. And 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 so there's this mix of the natural and the spiritual that happens in our life all the time. And we encounter this walk of faith, spiritual, but also naturally we experience fear. We experience all kinds of other things. Discouragement. Anybody ever been discouraged? Everybody, anybody ever get upset? You know? Okay? All right? So there's, there's the horizontal and there's the vertical. And, and we live in both realms, you know. And, and, and God knows that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, some of you are excited that all of a sudden now Los Angeles is going to have a football team, the L.A. Rams. You know, is there anything wrong with that? No. I, I hope Seattle saw, uh, Seahawks beat, beats the socks off of them this year. But, but you know, because you know, I live in Seattle. So, so you know, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the natural. We enjoy the natural. But with the natural comes some baggage. And some of the baggage is fear. And we, I, man, we experience that. Frustration, disappointment happens to all of us. And so... This is, this is the struggle. This is, this, is, this is the tension of life. All right? Um, and it's a part of our God journeys. Um, um, now, fear is something that wants to hold you back. Hold you back. It's a snare to entrap you. Proverbs 29 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Okay? So a snare, the snare that, 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 that Solomon is talking about, was a, a jaw-like striker trap. This was not, this was not just, just a rope in the, in, the, uh, in the jungle. This is a striker trap that has one purpose. Its purpose is to trap and to kill, all right? And, 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 and fear for you and for me is a trap that, will, that, that wants to kill you, or wants to destroy at least what God has intended in your life. How many wonderful, godly people have been detoured from God's purposes, from God's plans, from what God has intended, because there was risk, because of fear, because let's play it safe. Because I don't want to step out of the boat. I, you know, and, and, and I, I tell you, you know, it's not simple. It's, it's a difficult process. But 
here, this precious Old Testament couple that had, didn't have the complete Bible like we did. I mean, they didn't have the Old Testament even. All right? Uh, being in Egypt, I, they didn't have any of that. All right? Uh, they had very little. But in spite of the very little they had, they had a trust and a confidence in God that was more powerful than their fear. Did they have fear? Of course they did. Did they have a sense of, of, of concern about the risk? Of course they did. And that comes with the territory. That's a part of the baggage. But their faith in God was stronger than their natural fear. And my prayer for you is that you would allow your faith in God to supersede your sense of fear. Fear often leads us to wrong decisions. Risk. The fear of risk will lead you oftentimes to wrong decisions. Genesis chapter 12, we see it here. Abraham, the man of faith, the 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 man that the book of Hebrews just lifts up as this marvelous man of faith. What do we see him doing? <laughs> we see him in, 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 in Genesis chapter 12. We see him saying to his wife, as, as we're going down into Egypt, please tell them that you're my sister. A disaster that only the mercy and the grace of God bailed him out of, by the way. <laughs> God was merciful to him. He was fearful. He was fearful. He thought, man, we go down there, I've got this beautiful woman as a wife, they're going to kill me and take her. So say you're my sister. John chapter 12, listen to this, verse 42. Among the rulers, among the rulers, many of the people that were in spiritual leadership in Israel, many of them believed. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. What is that? It's fear. Intimidation. Fear. Because of their reputation, because of their position, because of their power, because of their prestige, because of their security, they said, "Uh -uh. we're not going to confess Jesus. We're not going to express that we believe in Him. How many of those people live to regret fear based decisions. So there's always this tension between fear and faith, fear and, and then faith and presumption. You know, many times our, our, our fear is, ah, I don't know. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe what I'm thinking isn't what God wants me to do. How many have ever been there? You know, you just, you just, you, and, and you end up getting stuck in the middle James chapter 1 says this, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let him not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So James gives us a clue, and the clue is this. You stay in the middle, God isn't going to direct you. You hear me? You stay in the middle on decisions, God can't direct you. As long as you say, I'm going to stay in the middle because I'm safe here. <laughs> I'm not making a decision. I'm not going this way. I'm not going that way. I'm just kind of, I'm just going to play it safe here. Okay? As, as Pastor said, there's 
a lot of places all over the U.S. I kind of come alongside of churches, many churches that are in transition. And um, I was helping a church in Iowa that uh, its pastors left, and, and, and I was there to kind of work with the elders and, and try to help them. And, and they had a youth pastor. And so I take the youth pastor out for lunch. And, uh, and I buy lunch for a youth pastor. You know, they like to eat. You know, so, so I'm buying lunch for this young guy and, and sitting and talking, and, 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 and he's working in the church. And um, a kind of a weird question came to my mind. So I asked him. I asked him the question that came to my mind. I said, what would you be doing right now if you weren't a youth pastor? And his eyes brightened. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. His eyes brightened, and he said, and he started talking about law enforcement. He said, you know, if I wasn't a youth pastor right now, I would go into law enforcement. I would go back to school. I, my whole family is in law enforcement. And, and I've, got, I've got an aunt who's a you know, big detective in some, you know, some city. Da, da, da. And, and so he starts talking about them. He's all excited about law enforcement. You know. and, and so when he got done, I said to him, why are you a youth pastor? <laughs> you know? And he said, well, he said, you know, uh, my pastor said I was good working with kids and that I should maybe go to Bible college and become a youth pastor. And so he said, that's what I did. So I said, you know, I'd, I'd like you to think about that. And he, he began to open it up and say he had questions in his mind about what he was doing and wasn't really fulfilled in it and, and so forth. And I said, listen, this is what I want you to do. And I, I revert, referred him back to James chapter 1, the double-minded man, unstable in all, all his ways. This is what I want you to do. I said, I don't want you to talk to people. I don't want to ha- have you ask people opinions. I don't want you to, to, to you know... Uh, Put it out there as a prayer request to 20 people saying, pray for me, I'm in the midst of making a decision. All I want you to do is make an internal decision. Just make an internal decision. And say, this is what internally, God, I think I'm supposed to do. I am, I'm, I'm going to move from, from, from indecision to decision. Either I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go. And I don't care. I said, I don't care which decision you make. I'm going to stay as youth pastor or I'm going to go to school and, 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 and go into law enforcement. And I said, I'll be back next month. And I will, I can, I said, I can almost guarantee you that within a month, you will have clear confirmation. You will, one of two things will happen. You will see very clearly that what you have decided that you feel is the right decision for you to make, that God will confirm that in many different ways in a month's period of time. Or you will see the biggest stop sign you've ever seen, and God will say, you're going the wrong direction. This is not what I want you to do. So I go back the next month, take him out for lunch again. We're sitting down. He's done eating. And, and I said, well, okay, you know, what happened? He said, Oh, he said, I've already resigned. I've signed up for school. I'm, uh, this next fall, I'm, I'm, I'm starting law enforcement. You know, uh, just a, a matter of a few months ago, I saw him in the church 
that he's attending now where he's going to law enforcement school. And I said, how's it going? He said, it is going absolutely wonderful. I'm just right exactly the place I should be. Why? Because he made a decision that God could confirm. So, you know, get off middle ground and make a decision inside and let God show you. Why is that important? Because, you know, I'm not interested in having you go out and do something stupid or me going out and doing something stupid. We need discernment. We need understanding. But we can only get that once we make internal decisions and give God an opportunity to affirm it. It's easy to throw up our hands and do nothing. It's easy uh, to say it's too hard, it's too confusing, I don't know for sure what to do, and do nothing. It's easy to say, I'll wait until somebody gives me a prophecy. It's easy to say, well, I'll, I'll wait until all of my extended family agrees with me. It's easy to talk ourselves out of what God really has already Revealed to us what he wants us to do. It's easy to do that because of risk, because of fear, because we don't know what will happen, because we know somebody who made what they felt was a God decision and it didn't turn out right. Okay. At least you attempt doing what you feel God wants you to do. How many know sometimes things don't turn out right? And sometimes we're right in the middle of the, of the will of God when it doesn't turn out right. We want to we wanna rebuke the devil. But I, I mean, sometimes the devil doesn't have anything to do with it. I, I, I mean, Peter, Acts chapter 12, is marvelously delivered from prison. Marvelously. Wonderfully. You know, you know who died in that same event? James, the brother of John. One of the three. What does the scripture say about it? Nothing. You say, well, James must have forgot his morning devotions. You know? Or he'd done something stupid. Or he had secret sin in his life. The scripture doesn't say any of that. It just says that Peter's delivered because God has purpose for him to continue living. James dies because God has purpose for him to take, to take him home. Without, without us having any kind of idea as far as why. Do does everything work out wonderful when you do the will of God? Not necessarily. Ask John the Baptist. <laughs> you know? So you can be doing everything right and end up dying for it. <laughs> okay? Okay? That's life. That's reality. A friend of mine just became the president of a new ministry in Uganda a matter of months ago. He's in Uganda. Well, actually, he's traveled from South Sudan back to Uganda with the, uh, the primary business officer of the ministry, the COO of the ministry, and one of the Ugandan pastors. Long story short, a uh, little girl runs across the road the Ugandan pastor's driving the car, slams on his brake, loses control, ends up, you know, the car going into a ditch, and Ed and Mark and the Ugandan pastor, all three of them die. Prime of life. 
I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Are there risks that are real? Yes. Is it worth doing the will of God even though there are risks? Yes. Some, someone maybe try to paint you a picture. If you do what God wants you to do, everything is going to be rosy. Everything is going to end up wonderful. You're never going to have another problem because you're doing what God wants. Forget that baloney. I mean, there's too many examples in the Bible that show us just the opposite. But it is worth doing the will of God. It's worth at the end of the day, even if you die in the middle of doing the will of God, at least you'll be in heaven and you'll say, God, I'm here because I did what you called me to do. So Jacob's faith was more than some warm feeling. It was painful. She had to be determined. There had to be specific action. If you keep your hands in the po- your, your pockets and not do anything, you'll never discover the will of God. You've got to try doorknobs. God will open the doors, but you've got to try the doorknobs. You've got to get out there. Who built the basket? Did God build the basket? No. Jacobed had to do it. Who instructed Miriam? Jacobed had to do that. Who put Moses... Can you imagine how, how painful that was to put that little baby in the basket and say... God, I'm trusting you that she's not going to drown him. Ah! Full of risk. So faith involves letting go. If anyone desires to come after me, Matthew 16, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to hang on to his life will lose it, but whoever is willing to let go of his life will find it. As I wrap this up, and boy, you're saying, boy, is he going to keep going on? No, I'm, I'm done now. <laughs> In the sight of the society of Egypt, what was Jacobed? Nothing. Chopped liver. She was a worthless, insignificant, wretched, common slave's wife. But in the eyes of God, she was this marvelous woman of faith who was willing God bless you Jacobed you were willing to risk doing the will of God even though the potential of success was almost zero man a woman of faith a woman of courage a significant kingdom Some of the most significant kingdom players are the unseen ones, like Jacobed. They're not the ones out doing the crusades or, you know, are visible. They're, They're the ones behind the scenes. So I would say to you today, get out of middle ground, make a decision in your heart to do the will of God, allow God to confirm that, or put a stop sign up, but be willing to risk doing what God has called you to do. You'll forever be grateful you said yes to doing the will of God. It'll take faith, it'll take courage, take discernment, but God will help you.
I can guarantee it. I've seen it in my own life. The faithfulness of God to guide us. In spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our imperfections, in spite of those things in our life where we say, God, how could you be so good? It's because his mercy endures forever. Father, I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you, God, for these people. I thank you for the women who are here, the mothers who are here, the Jacobeds. <laughs> thank you, God, for them today. Pray blessing upon them on this Mother's Day. And I pray your blessing on everyone here today. There's not a one of us that isn't in the midst of life decisions different seasons, different places. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, how many of you today would just, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, I'm not going to pray for you or anything this morning, but I, I, you know, it's just good for us to respond. If you're, if you're here today, I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything. If you're here today and you're saying, Dave, I, I just, I, I want to I be in the center of the will of God. I want to do what God wants me to do and I'm going to get off of dead center and, and I'm going to discover what it is and I'm going to pursue it by the grace of God. If that's, if that's you, just raise your hand to the Lord and say, God, here I am. I'm, I, I'm sick and tired of just kind of circling the mountain. <laughs> I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to go where you've called me to go. I'm going to be what you've called me to be. Even if it involves risk, I'm going to do it. And you're going to help me. And you're going to show me. Once I've made an internal decision, you're going to show me what and how. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.